Welcome to the Bazgrim TV audio archive. Bazgrim TV is a YouTube channel focused on socially charged MMORPGs, specifically Pantheon Rise of the Fallen, which is an upcoming MMO that emphasizes community and cooperation. Now let me tell you right off the bat that I am not affiliated with the developers in any way. I am just a longtime fan of the game, and I believe that Pantheon is an important part of the future of the genre, so I want to tell you everything I've learned from my years of following its development. So, this podcast is where we go way back in the YouTube catalog to revisit some of my best videos in audio form only. That way, you can listen to them anywhere you go. This episode is a good one for you because it's actually a three-part miniseries combined into one. It covers everything we know so far about everybody's part of MMOs. That's right, we're talking about loot and the philosophies that the Visionary Realms developers have when it comes to designing loot and items in Pantheon, whether it be the stats, the appearances, or how to acquire them. You're listening to the Bazgrim TV Audio Archive. As I often do, I think it's important to start off by discussing the broad topic. In this case, the overall philosophy behind item design in Pantheon. But this actually is just the first part of a mini-series that I'm releasing about gear in Pantheon. So if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button because I'm completely dedicated to bringing you the latest and greatest Pantheon information, and I want you to always be able to stay in the loop. So there's a lot more content coming your way, even just on this topic of loot, because after this kind of foundational video, I'll go into some more detail about item appearances, epic items, etc. I just wanted to break it up to make it a little easier for you to process and find the info you need. Anyway, loot or gear or whatever you want to call it can have a wide variety of significance across a lot of different games, but for now just think back for a moment to a game you've played where there was that one item that you worked so hard to get and when you finally did you did a little happy dance in your room and linked it in chat for all your friends to be jealous of and probably went to the nearest town just to stand there basking in all your glory and almost everyone knew how big of a deal that was because that item had a unique name, a unique appearance, and its own identity, right? I think we all have a story like that that we can relate to, especially if you've been playing MMOs for any length of time. And if you're listening to this and thinking about that item, whatever it may be, chances are you probably have a little smile on your face right now. Well, those sorts of experiences and memories that stick with you even after all these years are absolutely fundamental to Pantheon's item design. In August 2018, Chief Creative Officer Brad Eridun McQuaid and Creative Director Chris Joppa Perkins appeared on the MMORPG.com GameSpace Game Show, and on it, they discussed their approach to designing items. You know, and so itemization is... Um... So that's really important, and uh, especially in a game like this, um, where we're wanting to recapture that sense of items having that real iconic uh, presence and kind of mystique about them. Uh, so when you when you hear that you know someone got um, 
it's an item that just went into the to the game. So to, again, for our, our pre-alpha testers, um, the Descendants Blade just went into the game. And that that blade is available only in one place. Um, and when you acquire a Descendants Blade, you're going to know, oh, that drops from, I'm not going to say, spoil it, but <laughs> that drops from this person in this place. And if I want one, I'm going to go there to get that item. So that, that's kind of the bread and butter of itemization okay. is you've got and these very identified they're gonna last, they're gonna last a while too, right, Chris? There's none of this you're not you're not you get, you get this really cool blade and then one level later it's useless and and you replace it with something else. We want that yeah. that iconic epic feel, right? Where you really take pride in the in the item where you where you got it, the context in which you received it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we would never replace an item one level later, at least two levels. Um, <laughs> totally replacing obsolete items. Yeah, that's right. The the life of the item, the staying power of the item for the player themselves. Um, we want that to be, uh, you know, to to feel good and feel right and, and last. So in Pantheon, upgrading even a single piece of gear is something that you should be pretty excited about because it's a slower yet ultimately more rewarding process when you can actually feel the increase in power. Let me give an example. In the March 2018 Pantheon newsletter, Java participated in a pretty lengthy written interview called Armor 101, which covered a lot of the basics of the game's gear system. And it's kind of what inspired me to make this mini-series on loot, so you'll see me reference it a few times, starting with this quote, which describes his approach to stat progression on gear. Quote, your first piece of statted armor, or armor with more than just armor class on it, will more than likely come from your first adventure into a dungeon. We want to introduce stats slowly, and make each point of increase impactful. To this end, a bit over a year ago, we cut our base attribute amounts from the standard 80 down to 8. Going from 8 to 10 strength is a big deal, and we want it to feel like a big deal for your player's power and performance. So yes, lower level gear will have stats. Starting around level 6 to 8, you may find your first piece of armor with a plus 1 on it. But that plus 1 will be meaningful, and our goal is to make each piece you get after that feel like a genuine improvement." End quote. So let's talk about stats for a minute, because I've played some games where stats are generated somewhat randomly every time, or almost every time, you loot an item. And this has its pros and cons to it, so let's go back to the MMORPG.com GameSpace Game Show for Joppa's thoughts on random gear stats in Pantheon. When you, when you loot the Flaming Sword of Sovereignty, you, you want to know that you've got it. Like, you've got that weapon. And everyone who sees it knows, man, that's the, that's the only item that has that much strength. Right on it that's the only item that gives that amount of haste or whatever it may be and for the lifetime of that item that it kind of carves out that reputation for itself and and even down to the mundane uh, the more mundane items when you have the ability to rng roll your stats that alone starts taking things away from that recognizable identifiable uh, approach and and so that's not something that we're going to do but in Pantheon, stats won't be the only thing to consider when deciding whether an item is worth keeping or not. There's a certain degree of horizontal progression as well, due to what the devs are calling situational gear. 
It's just one part of what is referred to on the website as the Pantheon difference. Quote, in Pantheon, there often won't simply be a weapon or piece of gear that is the absolute best item for your character's class and level. Instead, many items will be more situational, and the player will need to ask himself, where am I? What am I going to fight next? And who in my group is what class, and what items do they have that may help defeat the next encounter? Items that protect against climates and atmospheres, or areas of extreme heat or cold, or disease, or absolute darkness, will often be important. So also will Bane items that are especially effective against certain types of mobs, for example, the undead or the dragon kind." Unquote. So it's clearly not just about what shield has the highest armor class. You'll likely want to hold on to several types of weapons and armor. This helps mitigate the quote-unquote best-in-slot syndrome that we see in a lot of games, where there really is only one item at a particular level that everyone of a certain class or archetype is trying to get. Back in Armor 101, Joppa gives an example of why it will help to know what types of areas you'll be adventuring in ahead of time, so that you can bring those different items necessary to overcome the unique obstacles. Quote, to survive in a frigid environment, Part of that survival will be having gear that helps you acclimate to it and protects you from exposure. This goes beyond simple resist gear. The environment itself will kill you quickly if you are not properly acclimated. Our atmosphere system is similar. One of our atmospheres is called frenetic floor. When entering the frenetic floor environment, gravity will increase substantially while the floor under your feet becomes intangible. That is a recipe for disaster, unless you have a certain artifact." Unquote. But like I said, situational gear isn't just about climates and atmospheres either. So for weapons, again, it depends on what types of creatures you'll be fighting. For example, you'll definitely need magic weapons to damage certain magic creatures, but if you're a melee class, you'll also probably want to carry a few different types of weapons, like slashing, crushing, and piercing, to counteract the different body types that mobs may have. You know, what, part of the combat system is paying close attention to the types of materials that your weapons are composed of and the types of enemies that you're fighting. Uh, the body type system. I know the snakes, the scale body type was, was in, and we didn't we didn't quite say anything about it earlier. I know that um, flashing weapons are at a bit of a penalty with scale. And um, bone. Yeah. And bone. Um, but maybe we could talk. You could talk about that a little bit as we move through here, because we have different, certainly different body types. We have these cave crawlers that are more of a crystal. We've got the flesh, you know, of the dwarves. We've got, you know, some other things upcoming. But can you just speak a little bit about that first? I mean, you pretty much hit it on there. It's just uh, certain body types can be countered by different materials. Like, uh, you know, there might be, um, well, and also by uh, different attacking types like you wouldn't want to use uh, say maybe like a slashing weapon against slimes if you're familiar with like old like pen and paper systems where you know you might actually end up splitting the enemies down into entities and create a worse situation um, just having the right you know like almost like rock paper scissors kind of thing figuring out which uh, weapons uh, effectively do 
full damage or, or perhaps a little extra damage against certain material types. So how exactly are we going to be acquiring all this gear? Well, of course quests are one way, and crafting is another pretty standard option. Although, it's worth mentioning that the devs have expressed their commitment multiple times to ensuring that crafted gear stays valuable throughout all stages of the game. And situational gear is a big part of that. A while back, I interviewed Corey Sethos Lefevre, who is the dev in charge of the crafting system. And if you're interested in that sort of thing, I'll provide a link to it. But probably the most common way to acquire gear is, unsurprisingly, just to loot it off dead things. But as it should be, you won't be getting a full set of armor just from killing bats, rats, and bears, oh my. But no matter what you're killing, there's always a small chance that it'll drop something interesting. I don't like the idea of being able to get some super rare, powerful, magical staff, let's say, off of a, a field rat. Um, but what you will most likely see is um, a small chance for valuable, uh, rare, if you will, items to drop that are more area-specific, lore-specific, zone-specific, and creature-specific. Um, it could be that there's some kind of really rare material, maybe, that something like a field rat might drop, as opposed to you know, some crazy uh, you know, sword. Um, uh, whereas if you're fighting, you know, just bandits or something, it could be likely that you get something a little more um, weaponry or equipment related. Um, but that's the main thing is, yes, I want you to always have that sense that you could get something exciting, something valuable, something rare. But um, it's, uh, it's not going to be just brute world loot table. It's going to be something a little bit more specific to the zone and uh, to the entity you're fighting but you'll still probably want to pay attention to the item tooltip because while some drops, even from common mobs, may seem crazy powerful for that level, you won't always just want to immediately get rid of your other item. Take these wraiths in Halnir Cave, for example. The great thing about these, these wraiths is they drop um, some no-rent items that are uh, pretty decent upgrades to the weapons that we have right now. So, tree loot. For anyone that's not an old school player, could you identify no rent? No rent means you log out or you zone and they go away. They poof. So you have to use them on that character on that run. That's right. Temporary power. Although there's actually another way to get gear in Pantheon that really doesn't get talked about very often, and it's one of the more unique and immersive reasons why I would strongly encourage you to leave no stone left unturned in Terminus. Through um, one of the harvesting skills that um, Corey and uh, Tim, two of our, our game designers, have been working on, um, there, there are going to, and that, that harvesting skill is called scavenging, which should mm -hmm. give you an idea of what that would be like. <laughs> but um, there is going to be opportunity through those things, those two systems, to actually discover items in the world as well. So you might, you know, uh, be uh, coming up on an orc camp, you break into the orc camp, you, you know, kind of take everything out, and then you just rummage through their stuff and find, you know, mundane items. You might find 
more rare items and there's always that chance very very minute chance not that you're going to find you know the flaming sort of um sovereignty but you might find you know something that is is relatively valuable and relatively rare and you know tuning that chance tuning that opportunity is something we're going to pay close attention to but it's it's married to these very relevant meaningful systems and we talk about that all the time the world needs to feel um believable it needs to feel like you're living in it and the experiences that you have as you take on that orc camp and clear it out and then rummage through their stuff and find that item that's not something that's just being mailed to you by the developers it's not something that you know you're you're getting when you've you know reached a hundred points in achievement and this and that thing it's you in the world actually paying attention and exploring and being rewarded for that. And the last way to get gear that I can think of, which is very important, is just being given it or buying it from someone. Whether that someone be in your guild, or a friendly stranger, or even one of your own alts, almost every item in the game will be unbound, and they won't really have level requirements either. Now, I'll get into epic items in a later video in this miniseries, but those sorts of items will definitely be the exception to those rules. But by and large, you'll be able to trade and use items pretty freely. So now you're probably thinking, well, if I get a powerful item on my max level character and give it to my level 1 character, that'll basically make him invincible, right? Well, not necessarily. If a level 1 equips a level 40 sword with a damage range of 1 to 20, let's say, um, the the level the the one-handed sword skill of that level one player is very low, and so while equipping that sword, they would still see that one to twenty damage range, and that would still be available to them. Since their weapon skill is very low, it's it's not likely that they're going to see a max damage hit for twenty damage with that weapon. So by now, you should have a pretty good idea of how items are designed and then acquired and used by players in Pantheon. In the next video, I'll discuss the really important stuff. How to look good while wearing that gear. Part 2 You can probably tell from any one of the Pantheon streams that the developers have settled on what they refer to as a believable fantasy aesthetic. So that means that there won't be those huge oversized shoulder pads that could hide small children in them, or weapons so unrealistically large that they must be overcompensating for something. But that also means that there finally will be a game that doesn't have dudes playing as females running around in those skimpy chainmail bikinis. Female characters in Pantheon, quote, will be very attractive, heroic in appearance, a persona anyone could look up to but they will not be overly sexualized." End quote. Art direction like this really is just a matter of opinion. And let's face it, this is not a case of whose opinion is better than the rest. Some people like the cartoon look. Some people like the sexy look. Some people like sexy cartoons. That's all fine. There's already plenty of games out there that can offer that. But for this discussion, the fact of the matter is that Pantheon has already established this believable fantasy, or realistic fantasy, aesthetic. So with this aesthetic in mind, I think the next question to ask is will the appearance of your gear reflect the power of it? Because, like I said, in some ways, finding a new item that looks cooler than your previous one is in some ways just as much, if not more, of a reward than the increase in stats. 
but are they connected? As you may remember from the first video in this series, creative director Chris Joppa Perkins provided the answer to a lot of these questions back in the March 2018 Pantheon newsletter in an article titled Armor 101. Quote, we want players to feel a genuine sense of rags to riches in Pantheon, and so we want to be thoughtful about how quickly we roll out higher tier armors. So yes, you should be able to tell how high level someone is just by looking at them. That's the goal. I also want to make an important point that while we are creating these armors in sets, this doesn't mean everyone will always be in a matching set of armor. Quite the contrary, I would expect. Putting together a full matching set of armor will be a rarer accomplishment. And just because pieces may look the same, doesn't mean each piece is part of the same set. At lower levels, it will be the norm to see players in more of a mismatched ensemble of gear, since they're using whatever they can get their hands on without the luxury of going after specific pieces beyond their level range. And so part of the rags to riches equation will be seeing higher level players getting closer to a matching set look." Unquote. And that brings up an important point about the recognizability of items, whether it be something simple like a bronze helmet, or something more rare. In order for you to be able to tell what someone is wearing just by looking at them, those items would of course have to have unique and distinct appearances. And that appearance eventually kind of becomes part of that item's identity and personality, which as we learned in the first video, is an essential part of Pantheon's item design. So let's hear from Chief Creative Officer Brad Aradun McQuaid about what his plans are for this. Well, you know, with an MMO like this, you're, you're, there's, there's going to be, you know, thousands if not tens of thousands of items. So there, there obviously can never be a one-to-one -one ratio between what you're wearing and, and how you look. Um, that said, there'll be as many as we can, as we can fit in. Both, both by launch and after launch, because um, it is very important to us, as we mentioned earlier, you know, with that, uh, you know, seeing higher level people, that what you're wearing uh, does show off what you've accomplished, how high, how high level you are, what, what adventures you've gone on to inspire others. Let me give an example of this. In a clip in the first video of the series, Joppa used a hypothetical example of an item called the Flaming Sword of Sovereignty. Now let's say the Flaming Sword of Sovereignty lives up to its name and is really hard to get. You've heard people talking about it, and it's the only weapon in the entire game that has flames shooting out of it. So if you're walking through town and you pass by someone carrying a sword that has freaking flames shooting out of it, you're going to know exactly what you're looking at you're also going to know that that person must be pretty awesome and they've made that dangerous journey to that one place and killed that difficult boss to get it. And maybe you even strike up a conversation with them about it. All just because that item had a very recognizable appearance. Not only do these sorts of moments foster a sense of community by being conversation starters, but as Brad said, it's also just pretty inspiring to see something like that and it makes you want to keep playing so that you too can eventually become powerful enough to go kill that boss and get that iconic weapon and then show it off and feel rewarded by it. And then you inspire others to keep pushing themselves to advance. Because if you really get down to it, that's what the game is all about. But as you probably know, the races of Terminus come in many shapes and sizes, 
And even though there will be some built-in limitations as to what races and classes can equip each item, how will these items still retain their visual recognizability regardless of who is actually wearing them? Quote, in general, it will just be a smaller or larger thing depending on your race. The armor model will not change whether it's a human or an ogre or a halfling wearing the piece. We chose to move away from connecting armor aesthetic to race because we want the item's own identity to be the iconic thing. When you see a particular breastplate, we want you to say, whoa, that's the Kyrus of the Watcher, instead of that's an ogre breastplate. That being said, we do have the ability to use overlay textures in the armor materials to create the appearance of marking scrapes, runes, bone, etc. to give certain items that racial or cultural flair." Also in the first video in this series, we learned that mobs will be dropping items that make sense for the type of creature they are. So for example, you won't be getting any breastplates from rats. That also means that if you want a chance at looting armor, you'll have to go for the more humanoid type mobs. And when we think about this in the context of gear appearance and recognizability, it brings up yet another interesting question. If you would be able to loot a weapon or piece of armor from an orc, let's say, will that item be visible on the mob's character, even as it's just walking around waiting for you to cut its head off? Well, we can actually tell from the Pantheon developer streams that some mobs already do display some of the loot they're carrying, such as these guards in Black Rose Keep. Of course, I think it's understandable that little things like rings and necklaces won't be visible, but some items, especially weapons, certainly are. Which means that if, for example, there's a particularly desirable sword that a certain mob can drop, and you knew what that item looked like, you'd probably be able to tell just by looking at it, before you even attack it, whether or not you'd be able to loot it. Okay, brace yourselves, because now it's time for the really hot topic. Cosmetic gear. Let's say you're a good diligent student of Pantheon, and you're spending a lovely afternoon reading through the entire FAQ on the Pantheon website. And then suddenly, you come across this little doozy. Quote, Cosmetic gear will also be available, with players selecting how they want to view your character by toggling between adventure and cosmetic. End quote. Now, at this point, it may be your gut reaction to be at least slightly concerned, and I think that's completely fair and understandable, because it seems to contradict everything I just said about item recognizability, right? Because what is cosmetic gear? It's some sort of item that has no effect on stats, it just alters the appearance or the skin of that item. So, you can look like you're wearing a full suit of this awesome golden armor, when you're actually just wearing a loincloth. However, I think some more explanation is needed here. The key phrase here is the part about how players select how they want to view your character by toggling between adventure and cosmetic. But what does that mean? It means you have control over how you want to view the world. If it's important to you that you be able to see exactly what people are wearing just by looking at them, then all you have to do is make sure the adventure appearance mode is enabled. 
But if you are into cosmetics and you want to see everybody looking their Sunday best, then you can enable cosmetic appearance mode. And of course you can switch back and forth as needed. Let me use an example from the other perspective, because I think it's really important that we all understand this. Let's say you got a pledge package that includes a tunic of the ages. Because, by the way, it's important to note that none of these pledge rewards can be considered pay-to-win. They have no stats, and are simply to prove that you've been in the community since the early days. So, even though we don't know exactly what the Tunic of the Ages will look like as of this video, we do know it'll be a unique appearance, so that months or years after launch, when people see it, they'll think, wow, that's a Tunic of the Ages, that guy has been around for a long time. But only if they have cosmetic mode turned on. Otherwise, they'll just see the statted gear that you're actually wearing. More details will be revealed in time regarding the UI and mechanics of how you actually equip these cosmetics, but based on what we already know now, this may actually be one of those rare cases where one relatively simple solution can actually satisfy both sides of opinions. Because cosmetic gear, by definition, really does not have any impact on gameplay, so I think it makes sense that it should mostly be up to each person what they want to see. If you like cosmetics and you want to see them, go for it. If you don't like cosmetics and you want to be able to instantly recognize what people are actually wearing, you can do that too. And if you want to do both situationally, it's just a toggle switch away. Everybody wins. On top of all this, if you're still not convinced, community manager Ben Kilson Walters clarifies this in a forum post, quote, We have made it very clear that cosmetic items will be earned in-game, and within our game's lore, and not easily available to everyone, end quote. So it really seems like the devs are taking a pretty balanced approach to this. I think it's way too easy to hear the word cosmetics and immediately associate it with some game that has just way overdone and ridiculous cosmetics because trust me, they're out there. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because if you're a fan of cosmetics, working to get an awesome, rare appearance item can feel totally satisfying and rewarding, which is important. And since all the cosmetics will still be based on lore, regardless of whether you're viewing the world in an adventure mode or cosmetic mode, you don't need to worry about seeing a bunch of people running around in chicken suits in Terminus. Part 3 So if you can think back with me for a minute all the way to the first video of this series, I had you think of an item, any item, that you fondly remember from an MMO you've played in the past. One that you fought hard for and was proud of. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that there's a really good chance that the first item you thought of was one that was classified as an epic item. In most traditional MMOs, these items are the reward for completing epic quests, which, as their name suggests, is the ultimate challenge in an MMORPG, taking the principle of risk versus reward to the extreme once you've reached the maximum level. 
This of course means that the reward has to be an item that is truly special, and one that you will cherish and find useful for a very long time. Especially since they're often tailored specifically to each class, giving you exactly what you need to perform your role at a higher caliber. So based on that, even if you just have a fundamental understanding of Pantheon, it shouldn't come as much of a surprise that these epic quests and the resulting epic items will be a key part of the Pantheon experience. Quote, some of the most memorable gaming experiences stem from the adventure involved in obtaining and earning epic weapons and items. These quests should be class-defining moments and fill you with a major sense of accomplishment when completed. Whether hunting for clues to start a quest, or trying to figure out the right thing to say or do in order to get to the next step, epic quests will be a significant social component of the game." End quote. So while impactful rewards and awe-inspiring appearances will apply to most items in the game, not just epic items, the epic items have to take those philosophies and basically throw them into overdrive. Getting an epic item will likely be your crowning achievement as a player. In the first video in the series, we learned that almost every item in the game will be unbound, meaning that once you acquire it, it can still be traded to another player. However, epic items will be the primary exception to this. So you won't be able to just give an epic item to your level 1 alt, and then walk around destroying field rats like a god. But that also means that when you do see someone with an epic item, you'll know for sure that they themselves were the ones that put in the time and the effort to achieve it rather than them just having enough money to buy it or whatever. You can bet that it will be quite the status symbol, or maybe even a sort of rite of passage to being considered a master of your class. But notice how I've been using the term epic items instead of epic weapons. I think most MMO players are probably pretty familiar with the concept of epic weapons by now. But in Pantheon, the term epic will expand to also include epic armor. Quote, you will definitely be rewarded with ultra-rare armor through certain epic-style quests, though these kinds of quests will almost certainly involve time in a dungeon retrieving items from powerful enemies, end quote. As we learned in the last video, one of the ways that you'll be able to outwardly display your prestige and assert your dominance over those filthy casuals is by collecting and equipping complete sets of armor. Now, of course, you could eventually accumulate a full set of more common types of armor, such as leather, bronze, steel, etc., and that would still be pretty impressive. But collecting an entire set of magic armor, now that's something. Quote, at higher levels, there will be true, complete sets of armor. These will be legendary sets with lore backing them. To equip one of these sets in its entirety will provide bonuses for the wearer. End quote. And this is of course referring to extra perks that are unlocked only if you own and equip all of the pieces of the set. But I just want to clarify real quick that with just this short quote, I actually can't say for sure if these set bonuses will apply only to epic armor specifically. Maybe there won't be entire sets of unique armor for each class, and there will probably be very rare and powerful sets of armor that are required by other means other than actual epic quests. But I think the phrase legendary sets with lore backing them definitely falls under the category of these very rare and powerful items that will certainly be rewarding to obtain. But that brings me to a very interesting question. What exactly separates epic content from all the other content? The answer actually isn't obvious, but we can take a look at some hints that the devs have dropped so far to try to determine where the line is. 
From what we've seen in the developer streams so far, there doesn't seem to be any color coding system for different tiers of items like common, uncommon, rare, epic, etc. like we've seen in some other MMOs. And as we learned in my interview with Joppa at PAX East 2018, the term epic doesn't even necessarily mean it's only available at max level. And on top of that, it also doesn't necessarily mean that there's only one epic quest per class. Let me give an example. As a side note, he shared that some epic quests will reward you with epic abilities and even epic skills, but there may be multiple epic ability quests per class, and they may be available at earlier levels. It's not only at the highest tier level that you would find epic abilities. Uh, you know, oh, okay. let's say there's five epic abilities for each class. Totally pulling that number out of my head right now, but um, let's say there's a finite number. Uh, some of them may be obtainable at lower levels. But okay. it's, it's, they're all going to be things that are, are difficult for you to achieve, certainly by yourself. You're going to mm. need help um, and things that you really have to invest time in to, to gain. So again, there doesn't really seem to be any strict criteria for what makes an item epic. But before I get too far ahead of myself, I should say that perhaps epic items will only be available at max level. I just can't say that for sure based on our current understanding of the word epic. Anyway, with all this in mind, I can still confidently say that the focus of epic items is really just referring to any reward of an extensive quest that is unique to your class and tells a story that ultimately defines your class's identity. And that makes it extremely difficult and memorable to complete. Because for example, in one of the earlier Armor 101 quotes from Joppa, he stated, quote, epic style quests will almost certainly involve time in a dungeon retrieving items from powerful enemies, end quote. Notice how he uses the term epic style. And while we're on that quote, let's see if we can get a better idea of what sort of things we actually have to do to get these items. Because if there was an exact answer, that would kind of be spoiler material and ruin the fun. But let's go back to that interview with Joppa at PAX to set the stage for what starting an epic quest might be like, whether the reward be an epic weapon, armor, ability, or skill. I'm reminded of the scene at the very end of, uh, what was the, not the most recent Star Wars movie that came out, but the one before that, like not the, the Force Awakens? I think it was The Force Awakens, the one that ends with her finding Luke Skywalker. Like yeah, that yeah, okay. yeah. So I'm reminded of that scene where in Terminus exist these certain masters, if you will, of mm. um, you know class-based masters of their order or their line, and they hold uh, very powerful um, information about certain abilities and skills, I would include skills in that, that are uh, only achievable by finding these certain masters and convincing them to, to teach you what they know. Um, so when we think of epic abilities, we're thinking of abilities that are very powerful, thus the epic nature, um, and very hard to obtain because it's, it's not only a, about finding this person, but it's about, similar to you think of like epic weapons and the epic quests that go along with them, um, it's about convincing this person through whatever hoops they think you need to jump through mm -hmm. to convince them that you're worthy to, to learn this. Along those same lines, in one of his recent blog posts, Chief Creative Officer Brad McQuaid said, quote, quests, and I mean from the simple to the complex, that lead you on a journey, will provide NPCs only you and your group or guild can communicate with. Other players cannot bother them, unquote. 
This suggests that even though the game will be an open world, certain key triggered NPCs will be exclusive to you so that other players can't just swoop in and mess things up, either intentionally or unintentionally, which would potentially waste all the hours you spent getting to that point in that long and difficult quest. Again, he doesn't specifically use the term epic, but with the way we've seen the devs use that word, it stands to reason that epic quests are a form of complex quests that lead you on a journey. But lest I drift too far from the original topic, I want to bring it back and address those of you that I'm sure are thinking, yes, I have very fond memories of getting my epic weapon in the game a long time ago, but I just don't have that kind of time anymore. Well, if you've done epic quests and received epic items in other games, you probably have some not-so-good memories of being required to sit and wait, sometimes for days, for a particular boss to spawn so that you can kill it and get that item to fulfill an objective. But I hope you find at least some comfort in knowing that this is one thing that we can safely say you won't have to do in epic quests in Pantheon. Quote, While the world of Terminus will consist of vast landscapes and epic dungeons, there is no reason to require players to play long, contiguous gaming sessions. Players will be able to play a couple of hours, log out, and return later to continue their journey. End quote. Pantheon has some pretty creative solutions in mind to preserve the difficulty and even notoriety of encounters, and therefore the resulting items, without requiring you to play dozens of consecutive hours without sleeping. But I want to be very clear, items, especially epic items, can still be extremely challenging and time-consuming to acquire, but that doesn't necessarily mean that time has to be spent in large chunks, because monotony is not the same thing as difficulty. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you learned something from it. And if you did, make sure you're subscribed now because I'll be releasing one of these each and every week until I've gone through my entire archive. And then even after that, I'll continue releasing all of my new videos right here in audio form as well. So while you're here, remember that you can rate and review this episode and share it with some of your friends that you think might be interested in Pantheon so that we can spread the word about the game to even more people and grow the community. So until next week, stay curious and adventure on.